0: Uh, grab that sermon outline that you find in your bulletin, pull that out. Uh, on one side of it is going to be the MPG, where you can take some of the stuff that we're talking about this morning, memorize it. Uh, there'll be a prayer that it will be very pertinent to what we're going to be talking about this morning, as well as a way to glorify God and to make you know, what we're talking about this morning richer and deeper and a much more practical part of your life. Um, There was and is in our world a lot of running. There is some actual running where people actually enjoy this kind of a thing. And I see it every day in the park as I'm going out doing my walk in a very dignified pace. There are people that run right by me and they seem to enjoy it. I see it every day in the park. Uh, Some of the running that we have in our world today is actually running to something. It's running to the store, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's running someplace because you have an errand. There's even running for a political office, you're running towards serving people in a political office. Uh, some of the running, though, in our world is not necessarily all that great because it's running from something. In the ancient world of the Middle East, there was a lot of running and there was a lot of chasing. Because many parts of the ancient Middle East were wide open and sparsely populated, justice and peace could sometimes be precarious in these areas. So order was kept through a rather aggressive form of crime and punishment. Crime and punishment. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Now it sounds a little barbaric. Sounds a little barbaric to our ears, but it kept the revenge from getting out of hand. Here's how it worked. When someone in your family, your tribe, or your clan lost their life at the hands of another person, then your family would call a meeting on how to even out the books, balance the books, to, to, to even the score. Now in the case of a homicide, a blood avenger would be selected uh, would be commissioned, and he would represent the family in the evening out of the score. The blood Avenger would have the temporary job of tracking down and killing the person who had taken the life of, of your relative. So you picture it like this: You receive the news that one of your family members their life has been taken. and you, you bring the family together and you come to a decision. You contact Cousin Vito from Jersey, and you commission him to be the Blood Avenger. And Cousin Vito accepts the role as Blood Avenger. He tracks down the person, waits until the killer is in the open field, declares himself to be the Blood Avenger, and the chase is on. And the chase continued until the Blood Avenger ran down the back of the killer and strikes him or would strike her down. And the family would receive the news. There would be a celebration over the fact that justice had been served. The books had been balanced. Everything was now even Stephen again. It's crude, but it kept the crime rate down. But there was a problem. What if the death was accidental? What if the death was unintended? It was an accident. What then? Somebody was not paying attention. Somebody was texting while driving. It was an accident. What then? In the Hebrew scriptures, in Deuteronomy and um, Numbers and Joshua, we see in these Hebrew scriptures God stepping into this situation. God established what came to be known as cities of refuge, and there were six of these cities of refuge in total that were spread throughout the the promised land, throughout Israel. An example of this, uh, Joshua chapter 20, uh, verses 2 and 3. Designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, talking to Joshua, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally Accidentally, unintentionally, may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. Now, if a person unintentionally accidentally caused the death of another, he or she could take off running. An accident, life taken, he or she could take off running. If they got to the city before the blood avenger caught them, they would be safe as long as they stayed inside of that city. A fair trial would be held. Fair trial would be heard. If innocent, then that person would be set free. If found guilty, well, cousin Vito would do his thing. But think for a moment. Think for a moment what God is providing in the middle of this profound personal crisis. A shelter. A hiding place port in a storm, a refuge. In fact, that is why God called them the cities of refuge. It is in the nature of God, my friends, to provide a refuge for people who feel like they are being pursued. Do you personally sense something this morning, something unfriendly that's coming up behind you really kind of fast? Are you under enormous stress right now that you can't seem to escape? Are you feeling pursued by worry that you just cannot seem to shake? In a, in a church our size, I mean, we don't have to use very much of our imagination to to, 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 to think and to know and just to assume That there are many who came here this morning just thinking that the most wonderful gift, just the most wonderful thing that you could receive this morning would be a respite. A respite, just a moment or two of relief to catch your breath, to be able to sit still in safety and not worry about the very thing that is threatening to run you and your life over. It is in the nature of God to provide a refuge for people who feel that they are being pursued. And in Psalm 91, the text that Ed just read for us, I want us to think about four different things. The first is, what does this refuge feel like? Number two, who needs a refuge? What the refuge is and is not? And how you get there. So let's think about that first one. What does a refuge feel like? Well, we might begin with a physical refuge. Uh, There was some years ago a woman by the name of Mary Grimm who was climbing up Mount uh, Hood in the snow. She was by herself. She found herself getting a little bit behind schedule, and she got a little frazzled at that point, and so she began to rush. She knew that this was not a good idea, but she was trying to beat some deadlines. She was rushing. And as she's going up the side of the mountain, her grip, the grip part of her ice axe slipped. It slipped right off the handle. She fell partly down the mountain and was injured. Now, laying there in the snow, injured, she's looking around, and she's beginning to see her life flash in front of her eyes. Nobody is going to find me. How am I going to get out of this? When she spies a cave. And she gets into that cave, and she gets out of the weather. She's able to attend to her wounds. It helps her survive for a day or two when she can get out and actually move down the mountain. It actually took her six days, but at the beginning of that was going into the refuge, going into the cave. Now, if you were to ask this young woman, this, this Mary Grimm, what that cave felt like, she would say it was a temporary shelter from the harsh elements. It was a place for me to regroup and to recalibrate and to recuperate and to reorganize. There was safety, there was security in this place that allowed me to be able to move on in life. Now, if a physical refuge feels like that, then what does a God refuge feel like? Well, this word refuge shows up all over the place. Psalm 46, verse 1. This was a verse that actually meant a a tremendous amount to Martin Luther during the time of the Reformation. And he was being chased down and people were trying to kill him because of what he was redefining the gospel as. And one day he reads, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present, even when we don't see it, an ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 46, verse 1. Over 40 times in the Psalms alone, God is referred, referred to as a refuge. He's referred to as a temporary shelter from the harsh forces or realities that are pressing in upon us and wearing us down day by day. Here's another example, Psalm 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness to you will be your shield and rampart. If you don't know what a rampart is, it's a protective wall around you. If you've been around chickens, and you know we are urban people, so chances are the closest we've ever been to a chicken is somewhere in H-E-B. But if you ever watch little chicks hopping around and chirping and doing baby bird stuff, especially out in the open, all of a sudden the mother hen is going to sense danger. There's a predator in the vicinity. She's going to lift up her wings, and simultaneously the chicks are going to run under her wings. And she'll lower them, and the chicks are going to be safe for a period of time. And they're going to look at each other, and they're going to go, Mercy, did you see the teeth on that wolf? And they're going to be there for a short period of time, and then they're going, the mom's going to lift the wings, and the chicks are going to be able to come out. It is a moment in place, a moment in time. It is a momentary period of time in a place of safety. Just like God provided cities of refuge for those who were running from blood avengers, today God delights for us, friends, God delights in spreading protective wings and covering his frightened, weary, grieving, beaten down, worn out children. And we can go up under those wings and then come out from under those wings, regrouped and rested, renewed, strengthened to venture back into the world, but this time a little calmer, a little more secure, having been in the God-refuge. Some of you felt that way when you came into this place this morning. Am I wrong? Anxious? Worried? Grief? Pain? Overwhelmed? Pressured? And we come together into this place, or a moment you know, in, in the woods, or a moment in our living room, our bedroom, our study, in our car. It's a moment where we come up, we go up under God's wings, and by God's grace, we walk out of that place, or we walk out of this place a little less anxious, a little more peaceful, and a lot more centered on God. And you know that you've been there when you, you know, you know that Cousin Vito, in whatever form that is, is running behind you. And all of a sudden, you, there's this sense of peace, and you're able to say, you know what? This is not all that great, but you know what I know right now? God's got this. God's got this. So, who needs a refuge? If that's what a refuge is, then who needs it? Well, cities of refuge didn't mean much to the average, you know, Joe Schmo in the, on Old Testament streets. But to the person pursued by the blood avenger, hot on his or hot on her heels, they were the most important places on the planet. The exhausted target runs for their life, bursting through the gates of the city of refuge, just one step, one step sometimes, ahead of Cousin Vito from Jersey. And that person falls down on the street, just inside the city of refuge, and says, Oh God, I would have been dead if it was not for this place if it was not for this refuge. I could not have gone one step further. I could not have gone another another day except that you sheltered me beneath your wings. You know, some years ago in a different place, different context, I remember speaking at a funeral when I read a letter from a, a sister in Christ um, who had not seen a lot of sunshine in her life. Had lived really just just really... Just just a hard life. And I read the letter that she wrote before she died. I read the letter to her daughters. And she wrote, you know the hard life I have had. If it were not for God, I would never have made it. These are the words of a woman who found the God refuge many times in life. You know, when you begin to think about it, This is one of the most common images that you have of God that's given to us as a present, as a gift, as a grace from God that we so little see. Psalm 9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 36, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Psalm 61, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge where? Where? In the shelter of your wings. So who needs to come under the wings of the Lord? Well, it's oppressed and harassed people, and troubled people, and weary and burdened people, and grieving people, broken-hearted people, lonely people, all kinds of people. Over the last 40-plus years of ministry, there have been lots of opportunities to sit with people in pews and in coffee shops and in cars and you know, hospital rooms all around the world, and to pray with people who could hear the footsteps of a pursuer coming up behind them. And I will tell you that there is indeed a peace that passes understanding in the presence of God. From cold-hearted spouses, from frightening medical reports and tests, from possible financial ruin, from parents who don't understand, from children who are hurting you. When the Lord is near, there is a peace that passes understanding so what is that refuge what it is and what it's not well sometimes we miss the refuge because we just keep running and running and running and running and running and running and one of the reasons we keep running is because we have misread this psalm we think it is saying that if you trust God nothing bad is ever going to happen to you now I think if if you've heard me preach a a couple of times you will know that that is a complete misreading of anything theological in the bible in fact in fact that is the way that satan wants you to read this text i'll explain satan actually quoted the middle part of this psalm to jesus during the wilderness temptations you read about it in matthew chapter 4 and luke chapter 4 he tells Jesus in that middle temptation, "Why don't you jump off at the highest point of the of, of the uh, of the temple area?" And guess what? And he quotes the middle part of the psalm and says that God's angels will not allow you to stub your toe, but they're going to bear you up. And he quotes the middle of the psalm, and he's basically saying to Jesus, "If you suffer, if something bad happens to you, then God is not true to His word." and God is not to be trusted. And when we believe that this is what this psalm is teaching us, is that there's somehow that, you know, we're never going to encounter these bad times, then what happens is we pull back from God, and we keep running, and running, and running, and running. And we're running, and the irony is, we're running while we're trying to get still. Or we derail our life in anger at God for not keeping up his end of the deal. What this psalm is teaching is that, yes, God will provide that shelter and that refuge. But that God's shelter is right there in the middle of the danger. Notice what God says at the end of the psalms, verse 15. He will call on me. You know, one of the really interesting things to do when you read the psalms, folks, is is to think as you read through it, who is speaking. Is it David at this point, or is it God that is speaking? God is speaking in Psalm 91, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Friends, you are never. You are never more than a fingernails' width from God's shelter. You know, I—it's it, so easy at times to be so overwhelmed by the anxiety and the worry, worry and the pain, and and you know, our thought life can just keep us up at night thinking about you know the things that have happened, the decisions we have made, the the pain that we're feeling can just be so excruciating at times. We are never far from the shelter of God. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, Trust in Him in all times, you people. Pour out your hearts. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our what? Refuge. Refuge. Peter will say it this way at the end of the Christian Scriptures, 1 Peter chapter 5, Throw all your cares, cast all your cares, your anxieties upon Him because he's near you know why he's got to be near it's because we're weak we can't you know we can't pick these things up and just throw them a mile god is close and takes them from us because he cares and we pour out our heart which leads us to the final thing and we're done and that's how you get there The prophet Jeremiah understood this. If you know anything about Jeremiah, you know that he didn't have an easy ministry as a prophet of God. In fact, it was horrible, it was painful, it was disappointing. To my reading of Jeremiah, he never converted a single person. In fact, the people of, of Israel became so irritated with Jeremiah that they beat him and they put him in stocks by the city gates so that as people could walk by, they could make fun of him and you know, throw tomatoes and all that kind of stuff. And right there in the stocks, as a man of God, being ridiculed because he spoke the words that God gave him, he poured out his heart to God. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 8, So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach, all day long there's no escape it's all day long he's facing it all day long verses 14 and 15 cursed be the day i was born may the day my mother bore me not be blessed cursed be the man who brought my father the news who made him very glad saying a a a child has been born to you a son you know you got to be feeling pretty blue And it's got to be a pretty bad day for you to hate your birthday, your mom, and the OBGYN. (laughs) But this is what Jeremiah is doing, folks. He's pouring out his heart to God. And in the process of pouring his heart out to God, the wings of God begin to open and, and, and to spread. And in the middle of this, he says, Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. You know, there's a way that you can know that this is true, right? We know that we can be with Him because of the way that He chose to be with us. Think about you know, the incarnation. Jesus becomes a human being. And He, he leaves the fellowship, the love, the, the celebration, the harmony you know, the perfectness of of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit together. And he experiences the broken world. He experiences death, and he goes to the cross. And But one day before he gets to the cross, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus begins to weep and to weep and to weep over Jerusalem, knowing that the judgment, the judgment of God is coming. And he says in Luke chapter 13, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those Sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. What he's talking about is the wrath of God, the judgment of God is coming. And what I would do, Jerusalem, as you know, Jesus is saying. What I would do was gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings to protect them from the danger, to protect uh, protect them from the danger that was going to fall on them, but they were not willing. When you think about it, it means that, you know, this is what Jesus is wanting. He's wanting to gather Jerusalem under his wings, and it means substitution. If you've ever, you know, seen this, when. The mother hen gathers the chicks under her wings. If it's raining outside, the mother gets wet. And if it's sunshine and it's South Texas drought, then it's the mother that gets hot and dry and dusty. And if it's a predator, a danger that's coming, the mother gets eaten. The mother takes it for the children. Jesus is on the cross. They're putting him on the cross. And they're making fun of him. And I mean, they are making it as painful as you can imagine. They have beat him into the ground. They have beaten him into a pulp. And they made him carry that piece of lumber, that piece of timber, through Jerusalem, out the Damascus Gate to to Calvary. And there they nail him to it. And it wasn't that it was someplace far away. It was on the main road, the road going to Damascus. And there were all kinds of people walking by. And he wasn't way up in the air. He was, he was a, you know, this far off the ground. And the people ridiculed him and ridiculed him and ridiculed him and mocked him and mocked him. And he stayed on the cross. Was it because of nails? Was it because of the Roman soldiers? It was because of love. When judgment came, He took it for us so that we could find our ultimate refuge in Him. When judgment came, He stayed so that we could find ultimate refuge in Him. Father, we are grateful for the shelter that we find in You. Each day, Father, you allow us to come into your presence. There's the opportunity, with all the things that we face, to come under your wings. And right now, Father, there are folk in this family. You know them better than I do. You know what is on the heart of every person. We ask in this moment that those people that feel that pursuer, that anxiety, that pain, that anxiety coming up behind them, hot on their heels that you will give them a sense of your presence and peace and that you will allow them, Father, to find that peace and that rest and that shelter in your presence. And we are grateful as a church that we find our ultimate refuge, our ultimate rest in you. For this, Father, we are eternally grateful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said